0: makeup of a nine o'clock service is not folks my age or younger, because if you would have told me that I got to sleep in two hours earlier next week, I like flipped over a chair or something. Y'all are just like, man, whatever. I guess I'll just eat breakfast later. Um, I'm like, I'm like, that means I'm staying up till four. I'm doing all kinds of, I'm going for it. If I get two, hours, you tell me, see, that's the thing. Like for me, if you extend my deadline on something, that doesn't mean I get more time to do it. That means I get more time to procrastinate on doing it. Um so y'all having a good week? Doing good? Getting ready for Christmas? So how many of you saw the big movie released this week? Alvin and the Chipmunks, the big road chip. It was huge. I went I stayed up no, I'm just joking. Um I have not actually seen Star Wars, the new one. Um a yeah, I know, I'm lame. Um a, because honestly, like the thought of waiting like four hours to watch a 12 o'clock premiere and with like people with lightsabers and stuff, like that's just scary to me. Like, I mean, getting like delusional at midnight and somebody's got like a, a thing that's a sword, like I just, that does not bode well for me. Um, there's a lot of stuff on this. This is cool. Um, but I'm going to see it. Don't worry. I'm not anti-Star Wars or anything like that. <laughs> I wish I'd put a picture of it. The funniest thing I saw all week was a picture of... Um, What's the bald guy from Star Trek? Yeah, but who played him? Patrick Stewart. Stewart. It was Patrick Stewart. And the quote next to him said, the force is with you, Harry Potter. And it was attributed to Gandalf. Like it was the worst, like fantasy mix up in the world. I thought it was hilarious. Um, Anyway, as Steve said, I'm Timothy. I'm going to talk about... Jesus, I guess, this morning, and we'll see what happens. Um, If you haven't been with us, we're doing uh, this Advent series called A Thrill of Hope. Um, And basically what we're saying is that this season uh, primarily celebrates Jesus coming. um, And and, and this particular facet of Jesus coming is that he brings undeniable hope into the world. Like he does a lot of stuff. He offers a lot of things. But one of the primary things he offers is a lyric we sang earlier this morning. It says it's a thrill of hope. And the hope that he, that he offers us is this thing that we call salvation. Now, we chose to do this because sometimes salvation uh, comes to mean this like small thing where you say yes to a question or fill out a card. And that means, you know, you stamp this card. and You get to go to heaven at some point when you die. And while that's not untrue, we're saying it's a lot more than that. That the hope that Jesus brings is not just for life in the future. It's for life now. And that it's way bigger, way broader, way richer and more robust than we can give it credit for. So we wanted to look... Um, at the hope that this little baby in a, in a Middle Eastern manger thousands of years ago, the hope that he brought and what it means for us today. And so he said that one of the things that he shows us is, is that we have this thing going on where uh, this thing called sin has come into the world, fractured our hearts, our relationships, and our relationship with God. And Jesus came to pay the price and penalty for that sin. So we could be get forgiven and restored to right relationship. We also said that Jesus' salvation shows that he's victorious over anything that would come against us so we can have hope in this life and the life to come that nothing can overcome him and him through us. Um, and, and this morning, we're going to look at what it means um, that Jesus has provided us an example. Uh, he, he's given us a pattern to imitate for how we've lived this new life that he's offered us. Um And I actually think this is really easy because we're used to following examples. Um, I I know that I am. I remember when I was maybe 10 or 11, um, my dad was really smart, and he got me a basketball goal to put in the driveway. And so immediately, like any kid growing up, you know, as a 10 or 11-year-old in the mid-90s, I became one person and one person only. That's Michael Jordan. Every time. That's, that was who I was in my driveway right there. Like when I hit my little fadeaway two foot jump shot, that like 50% of the time went in, I was that dude every time. Because if you saw the 96, 97, well, any team from the early nineties bulls, you knew that this guy was unstoppable. And if you, in any time in your life, pick up a basketball, you wanted to follow the example of one person, the greatest player that's ever lived. We can talk about LeBron James and Kobe and stuff later. I don't want to hear it right now, actually. But Michael Jordan, I mean, you know, Moss, come on, dude. You know, come on. You can't argue, man. Come on. It's, that's Michael Jordan, dude. Come on. Anyway, uh, so I, 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 you know, was a 10, 11, 12-year-old. I was always, in my mind, I was Michael Jordan. I wanted to follow his example because if I was going to do something, I wanted to be the guy who did it the best, right? Well, anyway, I moved on a little bit. And then in high school, I, I, well, late middle school, early high school, I picked up. Uh, wrestling, And I'm not going to talk about, like, John Cena, WWE. I'm talking about, like, actual, like, not very popular wrestling. And I decided to follow another example, a guy named Dan Gable. Do any of y'all know who Dan Gable is? You, this is the best room in the world. <laughs> I figured y'all be like, Dan, who? Um, yeah, so this guy, Dan Gable, he wrestled at University of Iowa, um, and he was unbelievable. His collegiate record was 181 and won. <laughs> yeah, that's, so let me tell you a little bit about that one. It was literally his last wrestling match as a collegiate wrestler. Think about that. Like, you've been utterly dominant for four years, and the, like, the last time you do the thing, you lose. There's, like, video of this. I mean, he is, like, free, like freakishly ripped and huge, and he's just, like, melted into this puddle and crying because he lost, right? But then he went to the Olympics, and so this picture right here um, shows him after I think it was the 72 Olympics and he was not only unbeaten, but no one scored a point on him, which to give you an idea, if you're unfamiliar with wrestling, like if you have someone on the ground and they just get away from you, that's a point like so this is like this is unparalleled like in sport, like this guy's a beast. Um, but then I grew up and I started to have role models that act like examples that actually mattered. And so like anybody who comes of age, eventually you realize some of the best people are hopefully the best people you can look up to are your parents. It's like, I looked at my mom. Um, my mom showed me, yeah, that's my mom right there. And that is me without a beard. You're welcome. Um, there's debate on which one is better. Uh, harvest likes the beard. My wife likes the beard. So guess what I have? um, Y'all understand, Douglas. Um, so my mom is like the most genuine and authentic person I've ever met. Like she is so with people in the moment and is completely herself. I mean, I've seen her make random people shopping at the gap. I feel like they're the most important people in the world. Because she like, she's like, you can go find your clothes, Timothy. I'm going to help this person. Like it's unbelievable. And I looked at my mom and I was like, mom, there's so many unbelievable things about you. I look at my dad. Um, A lot of you know my dad. He goes to church. He'll be here. He goes to church here. He'll be here in a little while. Um, Yeah, so my dad is like maybe the most generous person I've ever met. Like, he's probably the hardest working person I've ever met, and he's up there with one of the kindest people I've ever met. It's like I look at my dad. my My dad works construction, right? Like, you look at him and, uh, you know, for somebody who's in ministry, you might be like, there's some stuff you can learn. But if I could be and do like half the stuff my dad did, it'd be awesome. Like I'd, I'd work out OK. And so we get this. Idea, so I, I understand like there are examples I'm following. I'm sure that growing up for you, there were people you followed, people you wanted to be like, examples that were set, patterns that were set forth that you wanted to imitate. Um, maybe not always positively. I will not share any examples or stories of how I've done that. You can find me after and I will talk to you for 12 days and that will cover 1% of what of the negative example I follow. Um, But I mean, so let me just ask you, we're going to take it like a flash poll real quick. Raise your hand if you've ever done something just because you wanted to be like somebody else. Raise your hand. Pretty much most people, right? Um, And. And I think this is really common. Like we have this thing in us that looks at people and sees something we want to be like or something we value, and, and we do it. Um, I think that's because we're wired, wired to do that because we have this question in us. And the question that, that I think is in us that causes us to do this is how should I live my life? Like I've been given life. I've, I've, I've got stuff to do, but how should I do the things I do? Not just what, not just what are the things, but how should I do them? What should I value? How should I live? How should I go through this life? Um, and as, as believers, we would say that Jesus, as put forth in the New Testament, is the best example for living life that we could follow. I um, mean, not just any life. Jesus said in John ten ten 10, that he came to give life at its highest level. And anyone who trusts in him could have that life. And so he shows us what it looks like to live life, not as we imagine it, but as God intended it. And so we want to look at how Jesus not only calls us to live, but shows us to live specifically in him coming in his birth, which we celebrate during the season. Before we get started, though, I do want to say one thing. Um, There are lots of people who will debate whether or not Jesus like forgives your sin There are lots of people who will say, I'm not real sure about whether or not Jesus actually was victorious over sin, death, hell, demons, all this other stuff. Um, But a lot of people will say that Jesus is a good example that we should follow. He was a wise man. He had good teachings. He was generous and kind. He's a good example that we should follow. Um, But here's what I want to clarify that we're talking about this morning. We are not just saying that Jesus was a good dude who knew a lot of stuff. That is not what we're saying. We're saying that he is unique in the life that he lived, that he actually is the son of God with flesh on, who doesn't just show us how to live, but in his sacrificial death and powerful resurrection paves a way for us into new life. So, so there, there, see, there's a, there's a difference there. It's not just a nice guy who can emulate. It's the son of God who we seek to live after, right? Um, a, a guy named Miller Erickson put it this way, which is how we frame this. He said if, there was, like, if you were a family um, and, and your house caught on fire in the middle of the night and you managed to make it out and the fire department shows up and you realize there's all but one member of your family makes it out. And this fireman comes in and he rushes into the house and carries out your, the member of your family. Well, that's an example of heroism, of bravery, of courage, of all this stuff that we would seek to follow, right? Uh, but he says if, if all of your family knew and, and the fireman suspected that there was actually no one in the house, that there was no reason for the sacrifice, uh, then him running into the house would just be foolishness, right? And so what we see is we can look at history, both sacred and secular, and understand that most people agree that a man named Jesus lived. He lived a a pretty remarkable, miraculous life and actually died the way that the New Testament testifies to. So to say that Jesus was only an example and not a savior trivializes his death and makes it meaningless. And Jesus didn't even understand himself this way. So while he is no less than an example, he is much more than an example. Does that make sense? You understand what you're saying? Because I, I think if you went to work or school or whatever and you're like, hey, Jesus is a good example we should follow, people would probably be like, yeah. But then when you start talking about Son of God, forgiveness, resurrection, all this other stuff, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not sure that I agree with you. But we can't actually say that Jesus is a good example if all the other stuff isn't true, too. Is that, you, you see what I'm saying? So. I just want to clarify that so there's no misunderstanding here. Um, So we're going to look at Matthew 1, 18 and 25, excuse me, 1, 18 to 25, um, that depicts the birth of Jesus and see what this has to show us about how we should live and follow Jesus. So it says this. um, I've got it right here. It'll be up on the screen as well. Um, It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. She will bear you a son and you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but he didn't know her until she had given birth to a son. And they called his name Jesus. So I, I want to say and I want to show you and hopefully um, convince you that there are three things that we see Jesus doing in this passage that we should imitate. There are three things that Jesus does, has, whatever, that we should imitate. And this is what we want to do. We want to know what Jesus knew. We want to do what Jesus did. And we want to live how Jesus lived. Okay. We want to know what he knew, do what he did, live how he lived. Now, let's see how this actually works out according to the passage. Um, What we see here is that Jesus coming into the world shows uh, that Jesus had a very unique understanding of who God was and what he was like. See, he actually knew the Father's heart. Uh, So, real quick, before we keep going, I want to go to... uh, John 1, 1 through 5, and then we're going to look at 14 through 18, too. It's going to be on the screen as well. So this is what it says. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made were through him. So real quick, we have this person thing called the Word, and that person thing is saying he's God kind of next to God, too, Um In this world was life, the life and light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's sort of obscure, but he goes on and clarifies a little bit further. And he says the word became flesh. The word became a person and dwelt among us. He lived among us. The message says he moved into our neighborhood, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only son from the father coming full of grace and truth. John witnessed about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said he who comes after ranks before me because he was before me from his fullness. We have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So right there it says the person I've been talking about, the person who existed before With God the Father is this one called the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So he existed before this. But then at one point, he took on the nature of a human and was born into the world, which is the story we just read. It says no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but Jesus has made him known. So what this is saying, the passage we just read, is that Jesus came into the world for the purpose of making God known. No one has seen him except Jesus at this point. So Jesus comes in for, with the express purpose of taking this unique knowledge that he has of God and making it known. And what Matt, how Matthew says this happens is he will come and save his people from their sins. He will come as a savior, as God with them, showing them this unique picture of God's heart. See, I actually want to say that this is probably the most foundational way that we need to imitate Jesus. See, I think that Jesus' understanding of who God was governed his entire life. We see that Jesus before this wasn't born the way a normal human was born. He was in some weird mystical way that Steve understands, but I don't really. He was God and he took on the nature and person of a human. He came from God, put on flesh, and came into the world. So before this, he comes, and and he actually knows that this is going to happen and agrees that this would happen. He comes saying, they don't know you like they should. They don't understand what you're like, but I'm going to show them. And so this unique knowledge of God's heart, his love, who he is, compels Jesus to come as our Savior in our place for our sins. And see, he, he comes and he shows us, that God isn't, isn't angry. He's not mad. He's not mostly upset. He's actually a father who loves his children and desires to rescue them from harm. This is what causes Jesus to come. This is what propels him into the earth in human flesh. And this is what motivates him for the rest of his life. So when we look at this baby in a manger, we got to realize this wasn't just a baby who was born in the natural way. This is Jesus, the Son of God, who agreed, motivated by the kindness of God's heart, to come as a ransom and sacrifice for us. And see, this radically changes our could radically change our understanding of who God is, what He's like, and how He feels about us. There's a guy named, named Brennan Manning, and it's easier just to read it from his book and then talk about it than have it on my iPad. So I'm going to read you this because I think this at really shows us what's going on here. It says, do you really believe that the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is gracious and that he cares about you? Do you really believe that he is always unfailingly present to you as a companion and a support? Do you really believe that God is love? Or have you learned to fear this loving, gracious Father? Have you learned to think of the Father as a judge, as a spy, as a disciplinarian, as one who punishes? If you think that way, you're wrong. The Father's love is revealed through the Son. The Son has been given to us that we might give up all fear. There's no fear in love. Is not the Father's son, is, is not the Son the Father's unsurpassable sign of love and graciousness? Did he not come to show the Father's compassionate care for us? The father is not justice and the son love. The father is justice and love. The son is love and justice. The father is not our enemy. If we think that we're wrong, God is not intent on trying and tempting and testing us. If we think that we are wrong. God does not prefer and promote suffering and pain. If we think that, we are wrong. Jesus brings good news about the Father, not bad. We need a new kind of relationship with God that drives out fear and mistrust and anxiety and guilt, that permits us to be hopeful and joyous, trusting and compassionate. We have to be converted from the bad news to the good news, from expecting nothing to expecting something Turn away from the sins of skepticism and despair, mistrust and cynicism, complaining and worry. See, this is, what this is saying is that when we imitate Jesus' example of knowing the Father fully, that it changes who we are fundamentally. See, sometimes, like, I, I notice myself, and maybe you notice yourself going, and I'm, I'm, sometimes I'm, like, kind of suspicious of people, or I'm waiting for, like, maybe negative stuff to happen, like... You know, I'm just going to be like this past November, like this, like last month before this one. I seemed like everything that can broke, broke like a heater car. Have you ever had your subject tank blow up in your front yard? It's wonderful. Your neighbors love you. The dogs in the neighborhood or you're their favorite thing. I mean, it's, it's like all this stuff was going on and I kept, I, 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 Caught myself just being like, I wonder when the next thing's going to happen. And what that shows us is that in this moment, I am not imitating Jesus. Because to imitate Jesus is to look and say, while things might not be the best right now, I know that God's desire is to help and not to hurt. is not to harm. It is to be with. It is to care for and I think if we get this, like if we begin to imitate Jesus and by imitate Jesus, have this understanding transform our heart, it, it completely reshapes the way we see the world. Because I don't think we can do the other stuff Jesus did if we think of God mainly as a taskmaster, mainly as someone who is waiting to punish, mainly as someone who's kind of like peeking over our shoulders, seeing what we're doing. We have to see him as the loving, gracious father that Jesus depicts him as. See, because we have two ways that we can live. They're kind of brought one way is to imitate Jesus, and that calls us into a life of faith. That calls us into a life where we believe who God is, trust his goodness for us, or we can live a life of fear. And that's where we continually worry about how we're going to preserve and promote our own life. And when we live by fear, we'll imitate anything that we think can, can further our life. We'll we'll imitate anything that we think can assuage our fear. You know, you may think that, that if you have enough money, there's nothing to be afraid of. Like, if I have enough money, nothing bad can happen to me. So I'll imitate the person, the way, the method to get more money, and I'll step over people. I'll do what it takes. I'll be dishonest. I'll save and not give. I'll be greedy and not generous. You may think that people's approval... Is the thing that will protect you. That's the thing you can have faith in. So you imitate what you think will get you approval. You say things, do things, don't do things, dress, live, whatever it is the way that you think the people whose approval matters will look at you and go, that's my person, that's my guy, that's my girl. And see, this calls us to to live a life of faith because this love from God drives out the fear that comes from having to manage our own life and imitate things that can never withstand the weight of our life. So God calls us to imitate Jesus in knowing what he knew, which is the heart of the Father for all people and towards us in particular. And if we do that, that actually gets into our heart and transforms who we are. Like, But so how do you actually do this, right? I think Christmas provides the, one of the best examples. Year after year, we look and we recognize... That this baby came in a manger, the person of God in the in, in the person of Jesus Christ, and it happens. You and so we look and we celebrate and we sing the songs, but it actually gives us a picture in how to do this. Um, I heard a guy say one time that no one talks to you as much as you talk to you. Have you ever noticed that, like, throughout the day, like, not in like a schizophrenic way, but like in a in a normal way, that like you kind of have an internal dialogue with yourself? Um, I would ask this: What kind of story do you tell yourself? Do you you tell yourself a story where you're a victim? Do you sell yourself a story where everyone's out to get you and you're the only one for you? Do you tell yourself a story where your life is generally unfair? Do you tell yourself a story where you're a second-class citizen destined to stay at the bottom forever? What's the story you tell yourself? And what the what the Christmassy what Advent shows us is the story that we should rehearse to ourselves over and over again is the story of God's great love for us in sending Jesus. We celebrate his coming. We celebrate the earth-shattering act of God's love being made manifest, being made visible, being made actual in who Jesus is and what he did. So to imitate Jesus, we need to constantly anchor ourselves on this knowledge. We need to remember that God is, is for us and not against us. He loves us. We have actual proof in the season we're celebrating now. He loves us for real. And not like a begrudging sort of like I have to because I'm God sort of love, but like an actual love where he's like, I am so forth and they don't understand. it. And so as you go for your day, rehearse the story to yourself until you find yourself being moved from mistrust to trust, from fear to faith, from suspicion to faith. And in that way we imitate Jesus and our hearts are transformed. We also need to do what Jesus did. And um, we see in this that before Jesus was born, he was kind of like born into a purpose. You know, he was born, it says automatically he had work to do. He was a savior for people's sins. He was God who is God with us. And one thing I think this shows us is I don't want to say it. That God looks at our life. Particularly the stuff that goes on Not on Sunday mornings And says that is valuable That is part of my plan When you do that You are participating with me See because everything that Jesus did He he wanted to reflect Who God was in this And so now we're not Like guys who live in You know 30 AD In Galilee or whatever We're folks who live in You know, Ackworth or Dallas or wherever And we live in 2016 Not Oh gosh, not 2016 yet 2015 So I actually had finals this week too So my brain is about the size of Like a ping pong ball right now So bear with me Um, So what we see is we're, We're not exactly like Jesus But we follow him in realizing That the stuff we do Our work, our family stuff Our parenting, the way we treat All this stuff is part of we are part of God's plan in showing redemption to all people. So that means when you go to work it's not just a paycheck. It's an opportunity to participate in the work that God is doing in the world. When when you parent your kids, it's an opportunity to participate in the redemption that God is accomplishing. When you do the stuff that you think is meaningless, it's actually not. Somebody said that what this shows us is that Jesus looks at every square inch of our life, plants his flag and says, it's all mine. I want it all. So there's nothing we do where we don't participate in the work that God has for us. I want to ask, do you actually look at it that way, though? Or do you look and say, the, the stuff that I do that's like prayer and Bible reading and church, that's like the Lord's work. And over here where I go to work, do the deal, come home, cook the food, wash the dishes, parent the kids, walk the, all that other stuff is just sort of like my life. What God says is there's no dividing barrier between those two. It's all for him. In 1 Corinthians it says whatever, whether you, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, all of it, do it for the glory of God. So what this means is there's no part of your life. That doesn't have the dignity and the honor of being for God himself. So when we approach our work, when we approach our families, we approach approach the stuff of every day. That means that we can be thrilled with purpose. We don't have to endure it. We don't have to, like, slog through it. We can say that this is something for him. And that calls us to be way more than employees who get a paycheck and punch a time card. It calls us to be people who see the hand of God and intentionally run into every day seeking to embody and to to push forward the redemption that God accomplished in the person of Jesus. And so, like, how do we actually do this? How do we imitate what Jesus did in doing the stuff that God would have us do? Well, I think the first thing is you have got to be careful how, where you find your identity. Like, we have to guard against that um, because when we begin to do stuff, we immediately begin to associate who we are and what we're worth with the stuff, right? Like, I, I saw some, I saw something this week where a child was dressed in a peanut costume. And on the back, it says, don't judge my mom. I dress myself. Like, have you ever taken your kids somewhere? Because I've been the kid that was taken somewhere. My mom still tells a story about the time I wore a wrinkled suit to Mother's Day. And she was like, I'm the worst. Um, Like, have you ever taken your kids somewhere and been like, they are showing that I'm either a success or a failure? Have you ever looked at your job and said, my paycheck is telling the world through how much I get paid, through the stuff it can get me, through the power of control that it affords me, what I'm worth and who I am. Has that ever crept across your mind? Because what this says is all of that stuff is false. Our identity, who we are, our value, dignity, worth, comes from seeing in the example of Jesus that we are first called to know and understand God and then called to partner with him. We're called to faithfulness, not to riches. We're called to participate in redemption, not to have control and power. So when you look, as long as you move into your job saying that I, this is uh, something that God has given me to steward, not something that defines me as a person, we're imitating Jesus. Um, also, you, I understand you, God has given you gifts, like all, all of us. Like there's probably someone who's like, oh, yeah, he's talking to all the other people. Not, no, all of us. And so when we when we go to work, we have things that we can bring out things that accent the unique way that God is working through all of us to bring creation back to himself. And when we do that, we're imitating the saving work of Jesus. Like that's a crazy thing to think about that Jesus is working to redeem the world through his people. And when we go to work, when we sit with our families, when we hang out with our friends, when we the clubs or teams or whatever that we're a part of, when we do things and express the talents we have, when we work towards our strengths, when we do the things that God has enabled us to do, we're participating in the work of Jesus. We're actually imitating Him, and God is pushing forward His kingdom through us. Finally, we got it. We we actually have to do it. Like we can't expect it to like sort of like fall into us on our laps. Like the first thing we see is that Jesus was born. God moved through the Holy Spirit and brought Jesus into the world. So when you go, like when you wake up in the morning, and I'm not particularly good at this because getting out of bed for me is, is something I imagine like when they were trying to split the atom in the beginning, I was like, it's just impossible. We're never going to do it. Like, that's what I feel like when my alarm goes off, I actually had to get someone to spend the night at my house. Like harvest is my wife is out of town. I got somebody to spend the night at my house last night to make sure I got up this morning. Like that's the struggle is real right here. Okay. So I, 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 this is for me just as much for you. All right. But like, like when we wake up and, and we look at our life, If the only part that's that's the Jesus stuff is what we do here or what we do in the Bible, what we do in prayer, like 80 percent of our life is pretty meaningless. And that would make me just want to stay in bed and cry. But what we see is that God calls us not to begrudgingly kind of like limp into the world, but to run into the thing that has been given to us, the family, the job, whatever it is, and proactively assert his redemption to look for the opportunities to see the places to look for the hand of god the evidences of grace in the people around us like what's the conversation i can have what's the way i can be a blessing what's the way i can serve what's the way i can help what's the way that i can point my son or my daughter or my wife or my husband what's the way that i can kind of just nudge them a little bit more towards the kingdom because in doing that i'm doing the stuff that jesus did and that's what my life is about My life is about so much more than existing. My life is about so much more than just the other stuff that people worry and are stressed and anxious about. My life is about the very work of God. I heard somebody say one time that God wants a permanent take your kid to work day. I love that because that means that while we might not be the best, God still wants us to do it. Right? So we get to participate in the work of God when we imitate Jesus. And this isn't just stuff we do. It's God's grace and power coming through our fixed will on him in the stuff that we do. And in that, we imitate Jesus and other people see him. Last thing, we need to live how Jesus lived. And I realize that's sort of like a, like a big thing. Um, but I think of it kind of like this. Have you ever gone to somebody's house or, or to a party or whatever and eaten something? And you're like, this is the best thing that I've ever put in my mouth. I need the recipe. And you get the recipe and you follow it and you take the first bite and you're like, this is not the same. And you try it again, do the stuff, eat the whatever it is. And you're like, it's just not the same. And then so finally, I've, you know, I've done this. I'm like, show me how to make it. Show me where I'm messing up in the recipe. And so they get the recipe out and they're like, I'll show you. And then inevitably there's that one thing, whether it's like the kind of pan they use or like some secret spice that was passed down from like when the spice trade originated. And they're like, and oh, then you just do it. I'm like, wait, wait, you. that wasn't in the recipe. And they're like, oh, it's just a thing I do. And I'm like, that's the difference right there. That thing, the thing that you do, that thing that you did right there, the unique way that you do this thing is what makes it unbelievable, Right. And so what we see is, um, yes, Jesus lived, but there was a unique way that he lived that made him the most magnetic figure in all of human history. Um, And and what I I, I want to say is that it was the way that he loved. We're we're going to get that down a little bit more, but there's a guy named Paul Miller, and he says that when we see Jesus, we see that love walked among us. You know, John 3, 16, the verse, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Another way to read that is actually, this is how God showed his love to the world, that he gave his son. So when we look at Jesus, when we see his life, when we see the way he came into the world, we are standing face to face with the very love of God with skin on. And I would say that the unique way, what, what we see here in Jesus' birth is that, is that this love is compassionate. We're going to talk about what compassionate love looks like. I think it does a few things that's different, that, that, that sets itself apart. Um, I, first off, I think, it, I think it sees people differently. Um, a, a, a guy said that Jesus coming to earth had his mind full of someone else. And, and that someone else is us. It's to say that he looked at us and and he was so moved by our situation, by our plight, by what we needed, that he filled himself with it, that he saw us not as projects or problems or a hassle or a group of sinners, but as people who he dearly loved. See, I think that a failure to love, a failure to live as Jesus lived, is a failure to see people properly, is a failure to look in the right way. Um... Because I think our tendency is to look at need as Jesus' compassion addresses and, and just see it as too risky, is to see it as too messy, is to see it as too time-consuming, is to look at look at a person and see an issue, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like A person comes to you with a need, and all you see when that person comes to you with a need is the time involved, the resources involved, the energy involved, the hassle it will be, and it's very easy just to see that and not to see the person who Jesus loves who we're being called to move in compassion. See Jesus saw people in a very particular way. Um, he saw them motivated by the kind heart, the self-giving heart of God. see, see the, the way that Jesus saw us is the what, what caused him to come into the world as this child. For the purpose of saving us for our sins. And so I just want, like, do you look at people that way? Do you look at life that way? Do you look and do you just mainly see what's on the surface? Or do you take time to notice, to stare? Like, because here's the deal, like, w- like when we talk about loving and compassion, like we may get overwhelmed with situations, we may get, may get overwhelmed with what we see, and we may not know what to do. But I tell you this, we can sit and we can give somebody the dignity of noticing them as a person. We can give somebody the dignity of seeing them. And say, I'm not going to brush you aside because you seem to be too complicated. I'm not going to brush this issue aside because it's too overwhelming. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to see it. I'm going to let it influence me. And from seeing it, we can begin to feel it. Because what we see is that Jesus didn't just look and stay away. He, he, he moved into a deep identification with. He is, he is known. A name for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's so, like, think about it. like Jesus, like was picking out names in eternity past and he's like, yeah, I want to be known as somebody who's with people. Like there are other stuff, Prince of Peace, Wonderful counsel, that stuff's cool. But like, I, I want to be known is the God who is radically, deeply, truly with people. I want to be known as someone who enmeshes themselves in the lives of others. Who looks at a person and when they when I see what they're going into, I want to move towards the problem. Not just to be above or outside of, but to move within so I can fully understand and embrace and identify and have solidarity with the people that I see and that I love. See, I don't think we have a problem like, like, like giving money. I don't even think we have a problem offering advice or kind of coming alongside. But to actually move in and like get dirty and sticky and messy and risky with people who need the love that we are showing that Jesus embodies, that's a whole different ballgame. Like, it. I mean, have you ever had somebody that you just like really stuck your neck out for completely disappoint you and throw you under the bus? Like, it's not a great feeling. And that can cause us to play it safe When we imitate how Jesus loved. But Jesus has no room for that. See, Jesus saw the thing and instead of executing some like magic God thing, he said, I'm going to become one of them. I'm going to share in their troubles, share in their sorrows, share in all this other stuff. And then I'm going to identify with them so much that me being perfect and blameless, I will be looked at as sin and punished in their place for their wrongdoing. See, that 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 blows up how we identify with people. Like, that blows up the way that we, we move in compassion. Paul Miller says that compassion infects us. Like, it gets down to the marrow of who we are. Like, have you ever, like, I think it was Mother Teresa who said, um, when talking about, there were, there were people who, wanted to, uh, who, who w- wanted to build something beside a leper colony, and, and so the leper colony she was trying to establish couldn't be uh, built and they, wouldn't, they didn't understand why she was contesting them. And she said, just come and look. And when they actually moved out of their office or out of where they were doing the development and went w- with these people and were like in the midst of these people, it changed them. Like, have you ever been with somebody and shared so deeply in their life that it kind of like leaves an imprint on you? See, that's the kind of love that Jesus calls us to. The kind of love that that is deeply with and for people, but more than that, he actually does stuff. Um. He 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 actually doesn't just feel and and, and look, because if we do that and don't do anything, our love is cheap and not all that meaningful. Um. In in fact. Uh, I think our tendency, if we're not careful, could be to look at something and be moved by it, but not really do anything. Like if you scroll through your Facebook this afternoon or go to a news site, there will be so many overwhelming issues that you'll feel and that you'll see. But it's really easy not to do anything about them. Right. Like maybe our default tendency isn't to do. But what what we see with Jesus is he actually moves in and works for redemption from this place of loving and feeling. And so Jesus, we see Jesus fitting his love for the people who need it. Like Jesus needed to redeem people so he became a person. We, We see that Jesus came in mercy and meekness and smallness and humility. Because he wanted to draw broken-hearted people to himself. If he came only telling people what they had done wrong and how much God hated them, then that's not very good news, is it? He came to people who needed to hear good news, who needed to have their soul refreshed by the good story that God was telling. And, and yes, he provided us an example. Um, he, he did things that always pointed towards redemption, but what the, birth, what, the, what the birth that we see the example of compassion in automatically points us towards is that Jesus was prepared for sacrifice. We can't look at Christmas and not see Easter. And, and so we look and we see that, yes, he loved us. Yes, he felt what we felt. He entered into the, to, to the life of living death that was around him. But he wasn't content just to say, I'm sorry, I get it. He actually did something. He, he moved in humility. He moved out of, out of safety and security, away from self-preservation and desire, to people who needed him in a sacrificial way. Um, and do we do that? If you were to look at your life right now and say, I want to follow Jesus, I want to be like him. Is your life marked by this kind of compassion? Do you have time for this kind of compassion? Does the busyness of your life leave no margin for what we see here? Does the posture of your heart look at people and want to tell them what they're doing wrong and how to fix it? Set yourself up as better than that or whatever it is. Like, Does the posture of your heart even allow for this? Because I think we can be like hypothetical Jesus. Like, if I was in this situation, I would, right? But when it actually gets there, our behavior is a lot different. And it shows us that our imitation of Jesus is far more thin than we imagine it to be. So do you do, you, do, you, do, you do this? Is your life marked by this kind of compassion? The, my favorite story that sort of encapsulates the way that Jesus loved, the way that he lived. Um, there's a guy named Tony Campola. And he was in Honolulu, Hawaii, and uh, they'd been doing a lecture or something, and it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. So he finds this, like, greasy spoon diner, goes in, you know, having a meal. He's like, he's telling the story, it's like, the guy handed me a donut with his hands, and I really wish he would have used tongs because it was kind of like, I don't really want that. And he says just about the time where he started to have his coffee and eat his donut, um, about nine really loud, kind of rowdy prostitutes walked in. And kind of sat really close to him, and he was like, okay, this is interesting. 3.30, diner in Hawaii, and nine prostitutes are chilling next to me. Um, And he says that as he was just kind of decompressing from his day, he heard one say, hey, it's my birthday tomorrow. And one of the other ones just ripped into her and was like, oh, what are you telling us for? You know, you want a cake? You want a birthday party? Whatever. She's like, look, I, I was just saying, I've never had a birthday party in my life, and I don't expect one now. I just wanted to tell you. Um, so they, they kind of finished their deal and left and Tony, um, immediately looked at the guy who had been serving and said, Hey, they, they come in here often. And he said, yeah, they come in here every night about the same time. He said, the one who is sitting next to me talking about her birthday, she comes in every night and he says, yeah, yeah she comes in every night." he's like, all right, here's what I want to do tomorrow night here at this time. I want to throw her a birthday party. But he told her that the woman's name was Agnes, and he goes, "Hey!" And he calls his wife, who's working in the kitchen. He's like, "This guy wants to throw Agnes a birthday party," and they love the idea. And so they, you know, they, the guy, the owner of the diner, bakes a cake. Tony goes out and gets all these, you know, decorations and stuff. He shows up at two thirty. They decorate everything. They have the cake ready. And sure enough, three thirty on the dot, a huge group walks in, and Tony leads them to shout, "Happy birthday!" And this woman, he says, she is. He has never seen someone so flabbergasted. She's like looking at her like whose birthday is it? And they do all this stuff. They sing her happy birthday. They honor. Her. And he says, As we're singing happy birthday. And she sees all this stuff. She just like she's just crying. And uh, God brings out the cake and he's like, Agnes, cut the cake. We all want cake. And she's like, hey, um, you might just keep it. I just want to take it home. And he's like, sure, it's your cake. It's fine. And so she actually leaves in that moment and goes and takes the cake. And Tony says, it's like kind of silent. And he's like, uh, let's just let's pray. And he's like, that's kind of a funny thing to say. And he says, and he said, I want to read. He says, when I finished praying, Harry, the owner, leaned over the counter. And with a trace of hostility, in his voice, he said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And in one of those moments where the right words just kind of came out, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at three thirty in the morning. And Harry, and Harry waited a moment, and he almost sneered as he answered, No, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. And Tony says, wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all like to join a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning? Well, that's the kind of church, and those are the kind of people that Jesus came to create. I'm telling you, like, I want to be part of a church like that. I want to be a person like that. Because Jesus would have done that. Jesus would have understood, it through his unique knowledge of God, the way God felt about that person. Because he'd been living it. And he would have understood, because he was doing God's work, that he had a responsibility to do something there. And out of his compassionate love, he would have been moved to value and see and feel and act on that person's behalf. And Jesus calls us, he shows us how to be those kind of people. When so we look at his birth, it's not mainly an ornament we put on a tree. It's a life we're supposed to emulate. And see, this is kind of the sad part because a lot of times the people we lift up as, as examples kind of aren't that great. Or, or examples fall short or whatever. Um, and the great thing is, is Jesus is the example who will never fail us. When we run away from who God is, he was perfect in his knowledge of God. When we approach our day as endless drudgery and and seeing our work and all the stuff we do as, as not near God at all, Jesus lived perfectly in the everyday for us. And when we have no clue how to live loving lives, Jesus loved perfectly on our behalf. And so he's not just an example he can, we, we can follow. He's a savior we can trust. So as we seek to live after him, we can trust him to give us the power to usher us into this new kind of life. Um, so let's just take a minute and, and do it. Right? Like You want to try to move that way? like Worship team, go ahead and go, I don't know what's going on. Um, and so we look. And the hardest thing about following an example is you kind of ultimately realize where you're not that good, right? Like where you fall short or where the example is better than you. Um, The greatest part about Jesus is he looks and he says, "Uh, yeah. But part of my deal, part of my example, part of the thing I'm doing is working with you, kind of molding your soul into the kind of person that follows me and looks like me. So wherever you fall short this morning, we're going to have a time of ministry – and if you look and you say I'm just I don't know God like Jesus knew God, get prayer. If you look and say I don't I don't I don't look at my life and the stuff in it like Jesus looked like his life and work, get prayer. If you look and you say my life is not very compassionate and I don't love people very well, get prayer. Um, because one thing that Jesus showed us, one example that he set, is he'll always meet people who call on him. So if you need him, if you want to live like him, call on him this morning. If you look at Jesus and you say, I want to be like that guy, ask him for help this morning. Um, Because one thing that this shows us is not just that his life is important. It's that what we do and how we live is of the utmost importance. And we need him to live the life that we're called to live. So I just ask, whatever the step is this morning, take it. Like, don't be cool just saying like, My example of Jesus was sitting in a chair thinking about it, right? Like, no. Like, what is the step, right? Like, what is the thing you need to do to move your life into one more, you know, square inch of Christ-likeness? And whatever it is, just do it. Like, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Just do it. Um, Our offering baskets are up here. If you came prepared with tithes and offerings or year-end offerings, you can just drop those in right there. Uh, Make sure the year-end offering goes in the envelope. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So we're just going to pray for a little while, respond to Jesus, however you feel led. Um, They're going to play for a little while, and then Tate will pray and uh, send us out. Um, Y'all have a great Sunday. Love you guys. Story of Christmas that God came to the earth as a human being in the form of Jesus.